Today we are wrapping up a five-part series that we've been calling Snapshots of Hope, talking about who we are as Hope Alliance, as a church family. And if you remember back to a few weeks ago, Pastor Adam preached on uh, kind of our foundational thing here at this church about simply Jesus, that, that who we are as a people, you know, as a family in God is, is based solely on the gospel. And we are free from performance, free from religious activity, and everything we do is based simply on Jesus. So if we have any vision statement at all at the church, it's that, simply Jesus. And then we talked about how the implications for that in our lives are that we can be genuine. We can be genuine in who we are in our relationship with God, and we can be genuine in our relationships with one another because of being found simply in Jesus. And then, and then we moved and we talked about kids, which if you were here for that, uh, Adam did an amazing job looking at how kids are not just, um, you know, we don't just babysit kids here. We don't just put them in a room so we can get them out of here so we can do big church. Like, kids are not just church of the, of the future. They're part of the church now. And, and we looked at all these different stories of kids throughout scripture who were, you know, these young people who God used to bring about his kingdom. And we believe in that wholeheartedly here at this church. And uh, if, you've, if you've been here for any length of time, hopefully you've experienced that. Then last week, uh, if you remember, I tried to blaze through like all of Scripture in one talk and land on how we are called to be sent on the mission for Christ. That in the same way that God sent Jesus, he sends us to the world around us to do what he did. Short of death and resurrection, we get to do the ministry that Jesus did because of the power of his spirit working in us, making living waters flow out through us to the world around us. Well, today we're going to wrap up talking about community, talking about being a family on mission. This is something at this church, honestly, I would say that it is the core thing outside of Sunday worship gatherings that that we want to be as a community, a family on mission together, loving one another, caring for one another, and building the kingdom in our own hearts and in the world around us. So, you know, I would say that we're not called to be a place. We're not called to be a building. We're called to be a people. And that's the way God has always worked to build his kingdom is through people. And, and, and we're, we're a family. We're not a club. And this is not you know, just this thing that we can check off a box and, and say, okay, well, I did that, and then we go home and forget about it and compartmentalize it for the rest of the week. We are called to be a family on mission together. So what I'm going to talk about today is why we love community here at Hope, what we love about it, and to be realistic about the challenges to being in community, that it's not just an easy thing that everybody just says, okay, great, now we're going to meet community and this is going to be easy. So look at what it is, why, you know, why we love it, the challenges to it, and then how to do it well. And hopefully land in the gospel in all of that. So I want to start by telling you a little bit about my first community group that I was ever a part of. Uh, my old church, we called them mini churches. So if I slip into that language and I say mini church, just know that I mean community group. Okay, so our first ever community group I think Jess and I were probably like, I'm going to say 21, 22, when an elder from the church came and talked to us and said, we think you guys can lead a mini church, you know, this community group. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I, I don't think I can do that, but that's fine. Let's, let's do this. So they handed us a couple commentaries and said, go do it. It was like no training, nothing. It was very slipshod. So one of the th- first things we did was we, we hosted an, an, like kind of an informational gathering, on the church, you know, on the church campus, we said we're going to meet in this room. If you're interested in joining a new community group, come and meet with us. You know, we're the leaders. This is our story. So, let me tell you, the group of people that showed up, it was terrifying to me because it was an eclectic group of people, sort of like this room. 
sort of like me, sort of like you, you know, a, little bit, a little bit nutty, just trying to get through life, and these people show up. So um, there was a woman who showed up who I had affectionately uh, called Cat Lady because she was like 85 years old. I think she came and she was knitting while she was there. She smelled of cats. It was, it was a strange thing that she was there. She may have fallen asleep like in the meeting, but she was there. And I thought, okay, well, this could be interesting if she joins the group. There, were, there, were, uh, there was a single dad there who was a doctor. Now, this guy, you know, I didn't have kids yet, so I don't understand that demographic. I wasn't a doctor. I'm not intelligent. So he's like just in a completely different world than I am. And he was there. And there was a, a single mom with her kids. There were, there were two single, you know, younger single women who were there. There were three couples our age who, a couple of them had kids. A couple of us were soon to have children. So it's this really eclectic group of people. And I thought, how in the world is this going to work? How in the world are we going to make a community out of this? And God has a way of working. The old lady didn't end up coming. So, so God worked that out because I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm even going to you know, minister to this lady. But what I was probably missing out on was that she could minister to me out of her experience, out of her wisdom. And, but this group ended up forming. And I would tell you that it was, we, we led that group for probably about five years. And the stuff that happened was incredible. The community that formed, the love that was in that group for one another, the serving that happened of one another, the growth that happened you know, in our lives as leaders and hopefully in the, in the lives of the people in the group, in the gospel, coming to understand that better, was incredible. Because, church, this is what God does. He, he takes a random bunch of people and he makes a family out of them. Whether that's in a community group, whether that's you know, in this church here as a whole, God works through people being gathered together, loving one another, serving one another, as a family on mission. It's the way he has always worked, and it's the way he's working now. And we, we don't have to do that. We get to do that. <clears throat> Through the gospel, we don't have to do that, but we get to be a part of this kind of community. And, and it's what, honestly, if you think about it, it's who God is himself, right? God is community. If you think about the Trinity, which, again, we don't have time to get into all of the theology behind that, but if, if God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he himself is in community. And he knows the goodness of this. So when he, he creates Adam in the garden, he looks at Adam and he says, after a little while, it's not good that he's alone. So he makes another image-bearing human being to partner with him and say, all right, I'm going to put you in community. And immediately God begins his kingdom building through a community. And that's what we get to be a part of here as a church family. Now, I would say that we all want this, kind of innately in us. We all want to be part of community because we want to be known and we want to be needed. We want to be in a relationship where where we are needed by people. Not in a, 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 you know, the person is needy sense, but we, we, we play a critical role where we have our part to play. And we want to be known. We want to be able to reveal who we are and, and, and share our struggles and share our excitement and, and be known by people. This is something innate in all of us, but it's not easy to pull off. It's not easy to just say, okay, well, let's just be community. So we're going to look at some of those challenges today. But at the end of it, as messed up as we are, as broken humanity, God works through community and he works through family to care for us. He works through community to grow us in our knowledge of the gospel and our belief of the gospel, and he works through us to build his kingdom, all right, through community. So we're going to look at those things. So here's the first thing. We love community because God works through it to build his kingdom. 
It's, it's how God shows his kingdom to the world around us. And I'm going to be in a bunch of different places today in scripture. You can look at them, but you don't need to if you don't want to. In John 17, Jesus is, is preparing to go to the cross. And he's just finished the last supper with his disciples. And he starts this, this long prayer where he's praying to God about himself and then he prays to God about the disciples. You know, the 11 disciples. Judas has left at this point to betray him. And he's praying to God about these 11 remaining disciples. And then he prays for us. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus specifically prays for people who would come after the disciples. And this is what he says in John seventeen twenty: My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the 11 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they, listen to this. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you hear what he's saying there? He says a similar thing in John 13, 35, where he says, the world is going to know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And he's saying it again here in this prayer. He's saying, God, would you make them so united, to love one another so well, that the world can't help but see the kingdom at work. This is what God does through community that is founded on the gospel, founded on simply Jesus, that the world will know God sent Jesus by the way we love one another. It's a mind-blowing thing. Or, you know, think about Acts, right? Think about Acts 2. I was, when I was preparing to preach on community, I'm like, I should preach on Acts because the church was amazing in Acts. These people were united and all these great things were happening and we should just go to the Acts passage. But the truth is, it's not as simple as this. But we have to start here to look at the way that God builds his kingdom through community. In Acts 2.42, Luke writes this. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. This is like this real kumbaya stuff. Like, like, this is like Christian communism, like hippies, like everybody's just sharing everything. It's beautiful. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now listen to this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He doesn't say they were out knocking on doors doing evangelism explosion, right? He doesn't say they were handing out tracts in the marketplace. They were loving each other so well and caring for each other so well and were so united that their love was evident to the world and God was just pouring people into the church because of that witness. See, this is what God wants to do. He wants to build his kingdom through a family on mission by the way that they love each other. So here at Hope, that's our dream, is that we would have community groups that that love each other so well that the world can't help but look on and say, I want to be a part of that. There's something different there that I want to be a part of. It has to be founded on the gospel. It has to be founded on simply Jesus. But our love invites people in. So I was thinking, all right, what are some examples of this in my life? Well, when we first moved here... um, I don't know if we had even really met the Davies yet, but we didn't have a house yet. And they said to us, well, you know what? We're going away for a couple weeks to Texas. Why why doesn't your family just come move into our place for a couple weeks? 
they hadn't really met us. Like, we had three kids. We had a dog. And they were like, yeah, just, just come live in our house. Like, if you could mow the lawn, that'd be great. I was like, well, if I have a free place to live for two weeks, like, I can figure this out. That's fine. That, it's that kind of giving that I'm talking about, that kind of sacrifice for other people that the world looks at and says, I wouldn't give my house to somebody else. That's crazy. I wouldn't do that. You're going to let another dog stay in your house? Like, people are going to sleep in your bed? Like, that's weird, Right? But honestly, deep inside of us, we are made to be in community. And there's a part of us that says, man, I'd like to be loved like that. I'd like to be cared for like that. And I thought of another, you know, kind of weird thing that Christians do. So, you know, hospitality, my wife is like the most hospitable person I've ever met. And, and so we were talking about what could we do this summer to invite the community, you know, into our community group? Like, what can we do to love people? We said, well, let's do barbecues every week. So every other week. So, we, you know, we're doing like five or six barbecues. Tony made us up invites. You know, we're handing them out. And, and, and I was downtown in Nazareth, and I'm, I'm at a coffee shop, and I meet this guy, and I'm talking to him for like an hour. So I'm not just passing them out on the streets, okay? So I meet this guy. I'm talking to him for like an hour. And I said, hey, you know what? We're doing these barbecues at our house. Um, if you ever want to stop by, that'd be great. So I give him an invite, and he looks at it, and he's just contemplating it for a second. He was silent for like 10 seconds. And he goes, you're different. This is weird. People don't do this. And I was like, I know. Isn't it great? Like, come be a part of it. Come be a part of. So this is our community group. You know, we love each other. We love gathering together. We're inviting other people into it. And we're praying that God grows his kingdom through being a family on mission. And that's what God wants for his church. And, and you should know, this is our church growth strategy. Okay? Is that we would love each other well and invite people into community groups so they can find the gospel. I mean, that's it. That is the church growth strategy. Right there. So that's one reason we love community, is that God grows his kingdom through it, through the way that we love one another. But beyond physical and and financial care that that we give each other as a family, we give each other emotional care and and relational care. So another reason we love community is because it, it shows God's care for one another. You know, I don't know if you know this, but but we view our community group leaders here as pastors. We view them as pastoral in their role to care for that little flock that God has given them oversight of, to love on them, to relationally care for them, and to help that group connect in such a way that they care for each other. Because, I mean, they're the ones who are in the lives of this community, more so than maybe Adam is or I am. They're the ones who are pastoring this group of people so that they can care for them. In Romans twelve fifteen, Paul is talking to uh, disciples in Rome, and he's telling them how to love one another, and how to be united, and how to, to work together as a body. And in Romans twelve fifteen, Paul has this profound verse, at least it's profound to me. He tells the disciples there in Rome, here's what I want you to do. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. It's this this emotional care that happens in the family of God that Paul is instructing these these Roman believers to have. Now, think about this. When was the last time that the world really celebrated with you because something good happened in your life? When somebody at your office was like, you know, I'm really glad you got that promotion. I'm so happy for you. Typically what we find, and and this is just in us as humanity, right, devoid of the gospel, when somebody else does well, there's something inside of us that's like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I got that. 
I wish I, I was able to advance in that way. And we're not, it's not innate in us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And my father-in-law has been an incredible example of this to me uh, in my life. You know, we, he taught me how to hunt and fish. And like, if I would get a bigger deer than him in a year, he would be like, I'm so happy for you. That's so amazing. This is great. And I'm like, why are you so happy for me? Like, you should be jealous. Like, I gotta, like, but, but that's, that's Christ at work in him to rejoice with those who rejoice. Or, you know, I, I, I worked with a guy who before, who anytime something good would happen to me in ministry, he'd be like, man, praise God, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. And that's just not something that the world does. So we care for one another by rejoicing with those who rejoice in our communities, in our family. And then, on the flip side of things, we mourn with those who mourn. This is something that I, I've really come to experience in my own life because of, of walking with other people as they go through trials, as they go through struggles. And, and for a long time, for a long time, I would, I would hear somebody go through this devastating thing and I would try to scramble to come up with words. And I would, I would look through scripture and I'd be like, where's the verse that I can give them that would encourage them? Like, where, you know, that poster that goes up on the wall, like, you know, be patient in affliction. And like, you know, like I'm trying to come up with these trite little things. And, and, and what I had to learn, honestly, from, from Jess's uncle, his, his son passed away suddenly. And what I really needed to learn was that he just needed somebody to sit with him. He just needed somebody to mourn with him, to cry with him. To admit with him, yeah, this sucks. I'm with you. I love you. There's no verses for that. There's no trite sayings for that. You just go and you mourn with those who mourn. So, what does the world do in the face of mourning? Runs, drinks it away, tells you to go to counseling, tells you to get fixed, tells you to get over it, tells you to move on. Are you still mourning at that? Are you still worried about that? Are you still anxious about that? Are you still sad about that? The gospel calls us to mourn together. So as a church community, as a a family on mission, one of the best ways that we can love one another, and one of the things I love about community is that there are people who will be happy with me. And there are people who will be sad with me, who will mourn with me and walk with me through trials. I was going to give you another example about that, but you get it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. This is something that hopefully you've experienced it in your life, and hopefully the gospel's at work in you to be able to do this for other people, to be able to, to sit with them and mourn with them and celebrate with them. So if you're a place where, where you're not feeling cared for, where you feel like you need help mourning something or processing something or, or being happy or learning more about the gospel, join, join a community group. Come be a part of it and, and, and see how these, these pastoral leaders care for you. See how these other people come around you. But that's another reason we love community because it shows God's care for us. When we need somebody to put their arm around us, people are there for us. Third reason we love community is because it grows us in the gospel. And this is something where, like, you know, millennials, okay, Gen Xers will be on the, hey, we want to be hippies, we want to share everything together, we want to care for one another, and, like, baby boomers are more on the, yeah, you need to grow in the gospel. Like, you need to find an accountability group to be a part of. Well, like, it's both. Like, in community, you experience both of these things. But we love community because it grows us in the gospel. Our family spiritually cares for us and brings gospel transformation about in our lives through the Spirit. If you look at Colossians 3, Paul is, is talking to this church and he's, again, he's giving them, you know, kind of 
the, the, the passage at the top says, rules for holy living. He's just telling them what it looks like to live in the gospel. And he's telling them, you can do this, you can do this, live this way, live this way. And in verse 15, he says this great thing. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. And then listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. We all like to be admonished, right? When you admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's a powerful verse when you think about it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. This is a concept that we're like, it's easy to look at other people and be like, man, yeah, they need to grow. Like, they, they need to be more sanctified. What he's calling us to here is gospel transformation. And he's saying, let the word of Christ, let Christ dwell in you so richly, let the gospel dwell in you so richly that you can teach one another what the gospel is. You know, this, this word admonish kind of has a negative tone to it, but really what it means is, is, is to warn or to advise strongly. So what this looks like, at least for me and my experience, has been people coming to me when I have questions or when I'm struggling with something and saying, hey, you know what the gospel is for you in this situation? And then laying out truth for me. Here's who God is in this situation. Now, I've had plenty of people have come along and said, you shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't do that. I'm going to hold you accountable now. Come on. Like, does that really make us change deep down inside? Does that really bring gospel transformation when somebody's like, you know what, I'm going to help you manage your sin. I'm going to, I'm going to, help, I'm going to help you not sin this week. And then you get together next week and they say, did you sin this week? Oh, you shouldn't have done that. I'll pay for breakfast this morning, see you next week. Like, that... That is not gospel transformation. What the gospel does is, is when someone else comes to us and says, I hear you say you got a temper with your kids. Do you remember how much God loves you? Maybe you should meditate on that this week. Like that starts to bring about a change in our belief system, in our structures in our minds, in the way we do things. And, and we go on down the list. Finances, you know, relationships, all these things that, that people come and they preach the gospel to us. They teach us. They, they advise us. They warn us when they see us going down a path that's devoid of the truth of the gospel. I had a woman who I used to work with um, who, I would say her, her best gift was that she could ask really good questions. And she discipled me so well because I would come to her and she was older than me and, and, and you know, just so much wiser. And I'd come to her and I'd say, you know, Carol, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing. And then she would sit there for a second, get this kind of grin on her face. And then she'd pop out like just this incredibly deep, probing, gospel-centered question that I was like, oh man, I got to go wrestle with this now. Like it's not as simple as I thought. Like I wanted you to just give me an answer and like just tell me what I needed to do. And she'd be like, you should go think about the gospel for a little while. Man, that is what we're called to. This is the way God transforms us in a true, deep, and meaningful way is in community when we avail ourselves of other people's gospel experience and gospel wisdom and allow the spirit that's in them speak to the spirit that's in us to change us. But this is about gospel growth, not about sin management. So 
We love community here because it helps people grow in the gospel. Coming on Sundays, hanging out is incredible, and, and, and it does something to our spirit. But when you go through Monday through Saturday, devoid of community, devoid of other people really speaking this into your life, you're missing something if you're not in deep community like that. So I would encourage you to pursue that. So those are three reasons that we, we love community. But let's be honest for a second. What are the challenges to community? Right? I mean, just, you know, you've heard, this, you've heard talks like this before, but somebody's like, you need to be in a small group. And immediately your brain's like, yeah, okay. Like, I got this, I got that. You know, what are our excuses, right? Why do we not do it? Well, I think one of the reasons that we, one of the challenges to community is what I would call pseudo-community. Especially in our culture. You know, we're, we can be like, I have community. I've got 600 friends on Facebook. Look at all these people that I'm in community with. You know, look at this person. That, look at all these people that follow me on Instagram or that I connect with or, you know, Snapchat, all, all these things. <laughs> you know, look at all these people that I communicate with regularly. Clearly, I'm in community. Now, please understand something. I love Facebook, Instagram, social network. Like, I got no problem with them, okay? I mean, Jesus didn't have Facebook, but, like, that's, that's a whole other thing. Like, listen... I'm fine with social media. Please do not hear me as saying, you shouldn't be on social media. But what it does, it starts to fool us into thinking that we're really connected to people when we're not. There's a depth that's just not there. It can help our relationships. It can certainly help grow them. I'm not saying that. But there's a depth that's not there when we're not in the same room together, when we're not praying next to one another, when we're not mourning next to someone, when we're not having our arm around somebody praying together, working through the gospel. Together, So that's one challenge to community. Another would be proximity. You know, when Paul's writing these letters and, and the disciples are getting rolling in the, in the book of Acts in the beginning chapters, these people lived like on top of each other. So everywhere that they went, they were rubbing shoulders with one another. They were in community whether they wanted to be or not because they were around one another. And we are now so spread out and such a mobile culture and our jobs take us to New Jersey, to New York. We transfer places. We move. We move apart from our family. We, we go to all these different places. And, and we get disconnected in a way from having any proximity to one another. So getting together literally is difficult sometimes. Because, you know, this person lives 45 minutes away. And I've got to go to community group. And it's so far away. And, you know, it, it, is, it is a challenge to community. So we need to be honest about that. Another one is time. And... and and I'd like to connect something to this idea of time. Yes, we are super busy as a culture. We're always going places, doing things. But at the same time, I think if you want to put a slash next to that, it's like a commitment phobia. Like we're a little bit scared to commit to something because we're, we're afraid that something better might come along. I've heard a comedian talk about this. Like We're like, nah, I don't, I don't really want to commit to doing this because what if I get invited to go and do this? I don't know if I want to get involved in a community group because... I mean, how long does it go for? Like, does this thing last forever? Like, do I really want to be with these people forever? So we don't have enough time, or we're scared to commit our time to something, and we are afraid to be with people, which brings me to personalities. Being in community with people is freaky. All right? People are weird. I'm weird. You're weird. We're all crazy. We're all weird, okay? So when we start getting into community together... We look at one another and we're like, I don't know if I want to be in a group with this person forever. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. This is the truth, right? Like, you've been in groups with people who you're like, oh my gosh, how long is this going to go? I've been in those groups. I know. 
So a challenge to community is just the humanity of the people around us, ourselves included. And finally, I'd say the last challenge, you know, I kind of summed these things up, is just our pride. We just think we don't need it, particularly in the West. I mean, if we share any culture together, it's that we are here for freedom and individuality. I do not need anyone else. I'm good. I've got this. I've got it under control, right? So there's all these challenges to community. So we know that we need it. We know that deep down we want it. We know it's good. We can listen to a talk about why it's good, but when it actually comes to putting rubber to the road, it's like, well, uh, I don't know. There's all these challenges that get in the way of it. I want to tell you a story. In John chapter 13, we see Jesus preparing the Last Supper. And I'm just going to read part of this to you. If you want to mark it and, and read it later, just, just look at the beginning, chapter, you know, beginning of chapter 13. But think about Jesus in this scene. He's preparing the Last Supper. He has an idea of what's coming, the crucifixion. He knows that this, this ministry of his is going to culminate in something really bad for him. And then listen what happens. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now the translation says he loved them to the last. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now listen to this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had, he had, he had come from God and was returning to God. Listen to this again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knows that he's God. He knows that he has authority. He knows the high seat that he has at the right hand of God. And he knows that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 4. So, in light of these things, right? In light of knowing who he was, where he was going, where he was from, so... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's skip down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now listen to this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, insert there, you will have a full life if you do them. This is what I want you to process. 
Jesus is God incarnate. He knows who he is. He's come to understand his role as a prophet, as a priest, as a king, as the sacrifice for Israel. He knows where he's from. He knows where he's going back to. So he gets down on his knees, takes his robe off, and starts washing the disciples' feet. That's a bizarre juxtaposition there. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Because if we know who we are, if we know how strong we are, we're not kneeling down to wash people's feet. We revel in that position. But Jesus, knowing all of that, says, I'm going to serve you now in this way. And then he goes to his disciples and he tells them, if you do this, if you live in this way, you will experience full life. You will be blessed. So now think about our challenges to being in community. Go back through them, right? Short of the social media stuff. Proximity. We don't live close enough to one another. It's not easy to get together. Think about how far and how distant Jesus was in his, in his place, wherever you want to say it was, in heaven with God. Yet he comes near to us. He makes the journey to be in community with his people. That's the beauty of the incarnation, that, that he came to be among us. So he overcomes proximity issues, time, commitment, right? He spends three years with this ragtag group of guys, loving them, serving them, preaching to them, showing them the kingdom, showing them the power of the gospel at work in the lives of people, day in and day out. So he gets over this, this I don't have time, I, I can't make the commitment, and commits to us as a community. Personalities. Right? I mean, I guess if Jesus is God, he had the best personality ever in the world, right? And yet, who's he hanging out with? This dirty, cursing fisherman, probably. This scoundrel of a tax collector. A guy who ultimately would betray him and, and have him killed. And he says, I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to commit to them. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to move near to them. And finally, the issue of pride. Did Jesus need community? But he chooses into it. He humbles himself, which is why I had Jess read that verse. He, he humbles himself to the place of being human and saying, I know where I've come from, I know where I'm going, but I will be with you. I will come and I will be with you. I'm not too proud to be in community with you, to call you family. And what's amazing to me is he finishes this, this illustration up for his disciples and he says, if you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, you will experience the full life of God. So can I just challenge you a little bit as a church family? That when you understand, when you start to really believe simply Jesus, and you start to really grasp the fullness of the gospel in your life, and when you're living on mission to make the gospel known, you will inevitably serve your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you will experience the full life that Jesus promised. But our focus has to be on something other than ourselves. It has to be on the gospel. To realize what we've been giving and to start pouring it back out into the people around us. You know, one of the questions that I often come to community with, come to small group with is, like, is it going to be good for me tonight? 
How am I going to get anything out of this? Now, granted, I think this is a reasonable question to ask. I'm not saying you shouldn't process this. But I would say that sometimes the answer probably looks different than we think. That maybe what we get out of it is the opportunity to serve. What we get out of it is the opportunity to love on the people around us and to become more like Jesus, which is the full life. It is the fullest life available to us. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in what our our dream of the perfect community is that we forget that we have to build it. We have to be part of making it happen by serving the people around us. So, if you're not experiencing community, if you're not experiencing a depth of community, if community is just not as great as you wish it was, if it was not as full as you wish it was, I'd like you to wrestle with this question. How are you serving your community? How are you loving the people around you? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to put guilt on you. This, this question is as much for me. How are you really serving the people around you? Because I think when we give up the dream of the perfect community and decide that I will just serve, it starts to create community that's undeniably amazing. And when we start saying, what am I going to get out of this? And saying, what can I bring? How can I care for the people around me? How can I love the people around me? How can I speak the gospel and help teach those in my group the fullness of the gospel? And how can they, in turn, do that for me? It's an amazing thing. So, you know what? On the best days of community, when community is like clicking all, all cylinders and it's just amazing, you feel cared for, you feel loved, you feel great. But maybe on the worst days of community, when you don't, maybe you're being called to serve like Jesus. To know where you've come from, to know what you've been given, and to start washing feet and saying, I'll do this for you. Let's serve together. Let's be together. Let me love on you in this way. So, church, we love community because we know that it advances the mission of Jesus. And we know that, that we find care there. And we know that we find gospel transformation and growth there. But, but part of what makes community so dynamic is living in the freedom of the gospel and by his spirit loving the people around us and serving them. So I would encourage you to go and be that kind of church So what I said at the beginning, I say again, we are called to be a people, not a place. This is our church growth strategy, loving others and building the kingdom by inviting them into it. We're called to be a family, not a club, where we check off a box. And the gospel frees us to get to do that. Not that we have to, but we get to be in community like that. Church, would you pray with me?